This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, Canadians are mastering the art of making whiskey. There are some whiskeys in Canada that have been famous for a long time, and there are some that have always been there and been amazing, and they're really getting international interest because they're so good. Forty Creek, master blender Bill Ashburn shares with us how he fell in love with blending whiskey, what makes Canadian whiskey special, and why whiskey is making and why whiskey making is no easy task, but still incredibly special. Foreign policy expert Hannah Shalis is live in Odessa, Ukraine. She tells us how Russian airstrikes are devastating Ukraine's infrastructure and how drones are changing the fight. Power outages are a big problem this week in Ukraine. This is the Shift Podcast. It's Good News Tuesday-ish. Good news, everyone. It's about time for some good news. Oh, 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 yeah. Tell me something good, 877-399-9898. Your calls, your text messages for Good News Tuesday. The reason why it matters is because we share the good news. Sandra in Calgary. I thought the double barrel was recommended for the scotch drinker. Drinker, Sandra. Yes, it is possible I did get that backwards. Um, Thank you for the correction, Sandra. As always, I do appreciate that because clarity is something that we do love here on The Shift. What is your good news? Calls and text messages, storytelling and all those things. For example, my good news is it's raining in Hamilton. That is good news. Thank you very much for the text message. Um, Hey, by the way, if you want to have some fun with me and help me out, put your name on the text messages because with this whole... I told you earlier like we can't reply to text messages currently with this new technology we have but uh everyone's name is basically erased so if you don't mind putting your name and your city on there that'd be super helpful to me if you don't mind 877-399-9898 because it is nice to address you by name not like hey southern ontario area code nothing that's like when you meet somebody at a party and they don't remember your name and they're like hey guy it's good to see you. Just saying. What is your good news? I'm Shane Hewitt. I'm in Airdrie, just outside Calgary. Ryan O'Donnell is in downtown Calgary. Brennan Kelly's in downtown Vancouver. Um, I wanted to share some good news with you to start this off about time I spent today. And there's all kinds of good news in this. There's not one good news punctuation point. I spent time with a lady, and I'm going to protect her name because I... Um, for her privacy, for what she's going through. I lived with her son was my roommate in Ontario in the 90s. And um, Tim Tim passed away four years ago, and the anniversary of Tim's death is going to be on Saturday. So I saw Tim's mom. And... Well, I haven't seen her in a, in a, well, I haven't seen her since the funeral. We've talked on the phone a bunch of times through the pandemic. Of course, that was not possible. There have been all kinds of things that have been going on. And I really wanted to just bring up the good news that I think that comes from tragedy. The time that I have with her is amazing. Uh, the cookies that she made, um, let's be honest, she's in her eighties. She's a cookie master, but there's a lot of hurt still. And there's a lot of pain of losing a son, which is not the way that's supposed to go. And it really brought me present to this community. It really brought me present to everybody who's ever reached out and said, I'm having a bad day. Thank you for being positive on the shift. And thank you for your good news. And thank you for the jokes that the shift heads share. And thank you for the shiftheads.ca Facebook group and all of these different things. And it really brought me present as I saw it today firsthand. I saw today firsthand uh, a lady that I, ad- I admire and her story is just so incredible. The things that she's overcome, uh, born in Germany in 1940 and raised in the first, you know, five years of war plus a couple years afterwards, didn't move to Canada until she was seven and, and seeing all of those things and telling stories about not really eating much meat because they mostly had potatoes and that's kind of what they did. And, and hearing these things and, and just realizing how close that is. We talk about these historic events as being so long ago, some of us. We have no connection to it. I mean, my grandfather was a mechanic in the, an aircraft mechanic in the war. His brothers fought in the war. And I, there I was sitting with, with those stories right in front of me today. 
I'm really grateful for that generation. I'm really grateful for the people that do that often. I don't do it often enough. Sit down with that generation. Since my grandparents have passed away, I've not spent a lot of time with, you know, the older folks, that generation. Please don't be offended if you're in your 80s and you're listening. I'm in my 40s. You are magical people. (laughs) We need to learn and spend so much more time with these people and get the stories and hear this. And that's my moment of gratitude today. You know, Tim passing on was a surprise. It was a shock. It was not, uh, you know, his heart basically flipped the switch and, and it, it, it was, it was unfortunate for so many. But when I look at what today brings, even though it is sort of woven with so much fear and sadness, I can't help but think of Good News Tuesday and I can't help but think of this community because I know as I look at her, Tim's mom, that Right now, there are dozens of Tim's moms listening. Men and women just like her who have gone through similar stories, who have lost a child, who were maybe born into war, who moved countries, you know, emigrated to Canada. And and I just, it, it brought me to all of you. And I, I can't help but be with that for Good News Tuesday. And how remarkable this community is. 877-399-9898. Thank you for being here. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. It's like I had a crowd of you with me for three hours um, today. And to acknowledge, Ryan did some dancing for me today because there was a thing that we were going to do some work on and record in the day. And and uh, I was sitting there and I basically just kind of said, I'm not leaving. We got to figure this out. And Ryan did a bit of a dance for me today to make sure that I had more time. So this is um, this is so important. And um, so if you know anybody who is at home alone, make sure you reach out to them. And even if you're at home alone, reach out to your neighbors, please. And by the way, When you were born in 1940 and you went through all that stuff, please be gentle with yourself. Please don't beat yourself up. Don't feel guilty because you lived longer or the mistakes you made or the breakups. Don't feel guilty about it. You did it. You did it. You're here. You did it. You pulled it off. You succeeded. You did it. You changed the world in your own way. I just wanted you to know that. 877-399-9898. 877-399-9898. Thank you for being a part of the shift. It is Good News Tuesday-ish. Let's go to Catherine, who's in Surrey. Hey, Cap. Wow. <laughs> I want to mirror that. You know, because I got a couple things to say, but you just got me onto this now. Okay. Um, you know, the shift has carried me from day one um, within six months, I lost my mother, my father, and my best friend mm-hmm. in a six-month period. Can you give us their names so we can just know their first names, please? John, Ann, and Melanie. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's funny how your emotions and your mind will not deal with them all at once. It will take its time. It'll put it away. It'll hide from it. It'll it'll beg for distractions. Well, it can only do one at a time. Right? And, and And this show, you guys, everybody has carried me through the humor, through just being there, like you said, when you're alone listening on the radio. And you guys play such a humanity. Um, There's a hole there that needs to be filled, and you're filling it. Well, that's very kind of you. Thank you. I, because a lot of people have lost uh, believing in humanity again, right? Like, because right. the world is just so negative. So when you bring all this positive stuff, it's like, yes. And um, so that's why I, I'm calling in to say my good news. I am so thankful 
that I chose yesterday to do my yard work because I got to clip my cedar trees. And like you, you like the smell of cedar. So it's just, it's beautiful. And I got to rake up the leaves, but they're dried, right? It's really weird. (laughs) But I could have chose today and be lazy, but I chose yesterday, which was a lot better day because it was sunny. But today it's so smoky and it it just, it was a really horrible day with the smoke, but it still was, you know, not rainy. It was warm. Very cool. Yeah. And so I'm grateful. Yeah. Well, I'm, I would like to take your kind words and I would just like to add this for everybody is that, you know, Catherine, when you say that, the thing to take away that I invite everybody to take away is that you're actually not alone because it's clear that there are many Tim's moms, right? Tim's mom, to your story, Catherine, lost her son, lost her husband, uh, her other son's ex-wife passed away. I mean, ex-wife, but still, I mean, you carry a place for them in your heart and then lost her middle son all through that two years leading in through into COVID. And so you're not alone in losing people back to back. And and we're alone because we stay home and not all of us can afford to travel and, and go out and all of that. I, I get that. But the community is there. The question is, is do we share it? And that's the invitation for everybody. Take it beyond this show and take it into your neighborhoods, your communities. And, uh, you know, if nothing else, here. So... Uh, thank you, Catherine, for sharing. I appreciate you. Thank you, Shane. I, w- I want to say the older we get, my dad used to tell me this, the older you get, the longer you live, is the more people pass away. And that that's where why we need to express how we feel now towards, these, towards our loved ones. Thank you, Catherine. Thanks for the call. Thank you. You have to remember, knowledge is useless. Knowledge has no value. There's so many wonderful poets out there that talk about the value of knowledge. They're right, but they're one key piece that that gets lost. It's one of the most important pieces that I live by here on the show, is that um, value of knowledge is zero unless you share it. So you can know everything. You can have all the experiences in the world, but it's useless unless you're willing to share it. This is The Shift Podcast. Here on The Shift, we have a little affinity for whiskey. Now, the cool thing is, is um, Ryan and I actually have very different tastes in whiskey. You'd think fans who like to hang out, friends who like to have a whiskey together. Well, normally when we go out, I go one of two ways with my whiskey. I generally go with Irish whiskey. Ryan goes with scotch. Forty Creek, though, that holds a special place in my heart with my father. That's what my dad and I sit down together and we have watching hockey and all of those things. So Forty Creek, I lived in St. Catharines. Brendan Kelly's from St. Catharines. Um, Ryan's from Burlington, Oakville. Here we are living in Western Canada now, so we have some deep roots, kind of like Forty Creek's roots in the Niagara region, too. Joining me now to talk about this is Bill Ashburn. Bill is Forty Creek Master Blender. Bill, how do I get you a job just like yours? Because this seems like amazingness. You know, a lot of people ask me that, and I'm not quite sure how I ended up with the job, so I really can't tell you. Really, hey? This is so good. Um... What is a master blender? Let's start there, Bill. It's just so everyone knows what it is that you do. So in the whiskey world, master blender serves a couple functions. The main one is taste continuity amongst existing blends to make sure that a bottle you buy today tastes the same as a bottle you bought two years ago. That's kind of the meat and potato, the mundane part of my job. The really interesting part of my job is creating new whiskey expressions. I get to spend a lot of time opening up different casks, trying to put different casks together and coming up with new flavors and expressions. That's kind of the fun part of the job. So let's talk about 
um, all of these things. Um, I'm going to be as transparent as I can in my experience around whiskey. So that way um, you can translate it to how this works with 40 Creek and what 40 Creek does. I have done the touristy Irish whiskey distillery tours and they do a very good job explaining the history uh, where their their different blends come from, the kinds of things that they do. I didn't know that in their case, they use different casks, wine casks and whatnot to add flavors. So you that's where the mastery really comes from, right? Is to be able to take the core product. And this is what blows my mind about what you do, Bill, because you have 40 Creek. People know 40 Creek. The continuity of that taste is the continuity of the taste. But then you've got to be able to deliver that like a like a quarter pounder with cheese the exact same every day. But then you got to experiment and then you got to be like, well, I got this one here. This is going to add these notes of flavor and I'm going to create this product for this season or for this limited run or whatever. Like there are so many tiny little millions of things that you do, Bill, that really affect yeah, all this. It's um, what a lot of people don't understand is one small little tweak can affect the, the taste tremendously. You know, you talk about using different casts. We do quite a bit of secondary aging uh, in different casts, whether they be portwood casts, whether they be uh, once used bourbon barrels. We've even used barrels that we've sent out to a brewery to age beer in. We've re-aged Canadian whiskey in that, so, and that gives a complete different perspective. Just for clarity, those barrels were used to make beer or bourbon or whatever, and now they're used, they're done. They've got all of those things that happen inside them. You take them and include them in your process, use them again. Yes. And you can get so all cool. kinds of different flavor nuances by doing that. Mm -hmm. We've done a lot of experimentation with different woods over the years, and it allows us to bring tastes into the whiskeys that you wouldn't normally find. Hmm. Is there a... Uh... Is there a favorite go-to? Because I know that some blenders will have like a Cabernet Sauvignon barrel that's kind of their go-to base that they like to create from and then add on change from there. Does does Bill Ashburn have have like one baseline where you feel like is the, the right place to start? Yeah, my, my favorite place to start is whiskeys that have been secondary aged in Canadian oak barrels. Our Confederation Oak is our typical whiskey that is aged in the Canadian oak barrels, but I can take that whiskey even further than it is. It's amazing. Tell me about 40 Creek. Why is 40 Creek special? 40 Creek special because we're a group of people that are really passionate about what we do. It doesn't matter whether it's the people making the product here or whether the people marketing or selling it, even our finance departments are passionate about the products that we make and what we do. We had a really interesting day uh, a couple of weeks ago and it was called 40 Creek Day. And people volunteered half a day of their time to go out in the marketplace across the country um, so these are people who, from supply chain, from finance, from human resources, who typically wouldn't be out in the stores, and they volunteered to go out in the stores and help spread the word on Forty Creek. That's how passionate our people are about our products. I love everything to do with it. Um, it, it rings true of small town business uh, in so many ways that... Um, that you, uh, that that's the way it happens. And I think back to my time in St. Catharines when I worked radio there. Of course, we broadcast out of CHML in Hamilton. You guys are um, still in Grimsby. That's the, the core of the business, still in Grimsby. We are still in Grimsby. Yeah. And um, uh, I remember, God, I remember living there, man. I loved it so much. And every, like every week, someone, uh, took the Y off the Stony Creek sign and replaced it with an R and it was Stoner Creek and then they would fix it and then they would do it again. Like it was just, there's something about 
that place that is just, it's so incredibly special and the people are so incredibly special too. What do you think that that does? I mean, whiskey's one thing. I, I guess maybe it's a philosophy, maybe it's a spiritual statement that it, I think that pours into the glass, right? The spirit of the people that, that goes into it. It absolutely does. Well, and I think I learned that in Ireland, does. in Dublin, uh, Bill, with the Irish whiskey was that um, it was the spirit of the people behind it that added all the minute details to the process, to the care um, that went into it. So, so how does that work? What do you see that you and your colleagues are doing that makes that so special for 40 Creek whiskey? Um, we as a company have always been a very inclusive company. There's ideas can come from anywhere. You know, it's not just the people at the top who are making the decisions on which directions we should be taking the whiskeys. Some of our whiskey blends, the ideas have just come from casual conversations with different people, people not even connected with actually making whiskey. And it's really great that we can have that open dialogue within the company. And people bring things from outside as well. It's, it's really an open exchange of ideas and people care about what we're producing. Well, they do. Um, okay. So let's, let's help people understand why this is so special, Bill. I mean, you're the master blender for 40 Creek. You guys have different flavors of whiskey. Do you have a favor of the favorite of the, are you allowed to have a favorite of your children there of the 40 Creek? Uh, I'm allowed to, um, <laughs> Every year, my favorite is a special release because I get to spend a lot of time in developing the special releases. Mm -hmm. uh, this year's special re release is Art of the Blend, which is a celebration of my 35 years being in this building, uh, producing great liquids. Yeah. Um, um, that's beautiful. But of our regular it. products, my go-to is Confederation Oak, which is... An outstanding liquid, very well received in the whiskey connoisseur world and very much awarded medals at many whiskey competitions over the years. Are you, um, there's many kinds of whiskey drinkers. There are the, well, there's obviously the neat, there's the rocks, there's the, you know, um, press, and then there's the mixers. Um, does it break your heart a little bit when someone puts some Diet Pepsi in your whiskey or is it just sort of take um, it as no, it goes? It I, I will admit for the longest time it used to upset me. Yeah, I bet. But I've come to realize there's many different um, taste profiles out there that people have and people are think seeking different things from the whiskey than maybe I am. Mm -hmm. Kind of the running joke around here is when Bill wants a cocktail, he puts an ice cube in his whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. But no, it does not upset me that people want to drink Confederation Oak and ginger ale. Uh, I've done it myself on occasion. I feel, I feel like, Bill, if I was in your shoes, I would be more offended by the press people who want to dilute my magic versus the diet Pepsi people who are adding something completely different. And I, I'm making that up of course, but that's what I feel like. I'm like, wait a second, you're diluting my work. This guy at least is like manipulating it and changing it and creating something new. You're just diluting it. So like, I don't understand the press people, how they just add water. Yeah. Um, you know, whiskey is kind of a universal drink. It is. And people like to enjoy it in many different ways. Um, you know, myself, I like nothing better than a glass of neat whiskey out on the patio with a good cigar in my hand. And oh, that's beautiful. Just while away the night. Mm -hmm. To other people, that's, you know, that's sacrilege. But you know what I do? Each their own. Can I confess? Whenever we do, um, you know, charity golf tournaments or those kinds of event things, it's usually four people, right? So I usually go to the store and I'll buy four nice, chunky, thick tumblers because I love whiskey in a chunky, there's something about it, uh, tumbler. And I will take those tumblers and I'll give one to each of my teammates in the golf uh, tournament and I'll bring a bottle of whiskey and that's it. 
and we bring and so we just sip and have cigars and go golfing but we do it with like the big chunky glasses and and do it that way that to me is that's the beauty of of being able to enjoy it is because you're you're outside which to me is uh, having a spirit outside is always different and you're social which means that you're um you're very present to the situation that's going on because you're not in a restaurant where you're distracted by TVs and the hockey game and you're there and you're being social. And then you're actually just, you're together, you know, it's a bit of a stretch of a word, but you're in a sense of community because you're working towards a common goal, which is to play together for the day. And so I always find that that is my favorite time. Yes, I do put that much thought into it, Bill. That's the magic. Those moments like those, that mine is golf, but for other people, those are the moments where the magic happens. And it is possible you're not really in the whiskey game at all. It is possible you're in the connection game and the humanity game and the family game. Yeah. You know, a lot of people think the whole spirits business is all about um, social occasions and connecting with people. And I, I agree with that. Most of us don't find a lot of pressure or, or a lot of pleasure in sitting with a bottle of whiskey and a glass and by ourselves in a corner of a room. That's not what most of us do. Most of us want to be around people and share experiences and conversation, mm-hmm. et cetera, as we're enjoying the products. So um, are you as patient in real life as you are as a whiskey blender? Because, I mean, this stuff has to sit. Like, do you, like when I when I have a list of things that, that I worry about if I got done before the end of the day, I can go back tomorrow and see if they were done. You have to sit on it and go, did I stir that? Like, did I put the, and it's the sitting in the barrel for how many years? And like, I mean, do you, are you as patient in real life as you are in your work with whiskey? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's taken me a long time to, kind of mellow out like the whiskey and learn that things take time and just kind of go with that. I can do that with whiskey. Yeah. That's about the only thing I can do that with. That's important. I think that connects for people. That's a good statement, Bill. Okay. 40 Creek whiskey celebrating 35 years. Like you guys have been at this for a long time. It's a, it's a special, it's a special place, a special anniversary. You guys were doing some work a couple of weeks ago out west here too. Um, what have you guys been up to with that 35th anniversary um, and celebrating that? How do you make that special for you and the gang? Well, we have, as I mentioned before, we have our limited release Art of the Blend. We also have repackaged all of our whiskeys into a new modern, vibrant packaging, which we're taking the opportunity to call out Niagara. Mm-hmm. We are a Niagara company. I've noticed that that's more, more, far more bold now, isn't it? And all the, all the labels and everything, the Niagara connection is, because yeah. I don't even think, you know, if I'm honest, Bill, I don't even think I knew it was Niagara until recently. It wasn't something we really um, put out there, but we're proud of our Niagara roots. When you talk to people around the world, and you say, well, yeah, I make whiskey and I make it in Grimsby. Well, where's Grimsby? Well, in Ontario. Well, where's Ontario? Right. And you go through this whole conversation. But as soon as you're talking to anybody from anywhere in the world and you say Niagara, there's this instant connection Smart. to people. Love it. Um, wherever I've traveled and you say Niagara or Niagara Falls, People instantly have an image in their mind of where the place is. And it's surprising how many people have actually been mm-hmm. to Niagara. Makes sense. I love it. Um, okay. Uh, Bill Ashburn, Master Blender, 40 Creek. Now, Bill, for me, I want you to recommend a whiskey. Now, Confederation Oak, you've already piqued my interest on that one, just in general. So let's set that one aside, unless it's the perfect answer to this question. Irish whiskey is typically my go-to when it comes to keeping one or two around the house. What is a Ford 40 Creek Niagara Canadian whiskey that you would recommend that I access 40 Creek with? Which one would you recommend? So what I would probably recommend is Copper Bold. Okay. 
It is a, a little bit of an amped up version of our barrel select. It's great for sipping, but it also stands up very well in cocktails. So it's a very versatile whiskey. It's definitely in the Forty Creek family and it's one level up from our base whiskey. So to me, it's a, it's a go-to whiskey that everyone should have in their cabinet. I love it. So can I talk you into getting a tour if I ever come visit, by the way? Absolutely. All right, cool. I love this. It's an open invitation. Okay, so Ryan is typically a scotch drinker. Sometimes PD, not always PD. Um, you know, he likes his Brooklady and those uh, those kinds of scotches. So for a scotch drinker, what do you recommend is access to Forty Creek that is going to, um, that, that you think is going to really connect with them to get them into this uh, Niagara Canadian whiskey? Well, over the years, we've done a, a number of products that have been very barley forwarded, forward and aimed at the typical Scotch whiskey drinker. Currently, what we have in our portfolio that I would say would fit the bill and would be very pleasant to a Scotch whiskey drinker would be our double barrel. Okay. Um, double barrel is whiskeys that we bring out of wood after being fully matured. We blend them together and then we rebarrel it for an additional year to two years in once used bourbon barrels. And it brings apart, brings out all kinds of characteristics in the whiskeys, um, just kind of elevates it. So that's what I would recommend where a Scotch drinker should start. That's fantastic. Tell me about Foxheart, because as I was doing some reading, uh, Bill, um, Foxheart stood out for me as one that seems a little bit special, a little bit different. Is it different or um, is that one um, or am I, am I just losing my mind here making that up? No, it, it is definitely different. So Foxheart, what we've actually done is we've infused a very small portion of 12-year-old Caribbean rum into the whiskey. It's kind of, when we first launched it, people were confused and, you know, you're crossing categories and I like whiskey and I don't like rum and I like rum and I don't like whiskey and never the twain shall meet. People get it now that it's just a very small portion and it brings out some of those tobacco notes, almost molassesy, but not quite. It just brings some little highlights and top notes to the whiskey that we can't get any other way. I find it surprising when you say that. Sorry, go ahead. Finish. It's also near near my heart. Yeah because it's got a picture of one of my dogs on the, on the label. Oh, very good. Okay, good. Worth looking up. Absolutely. I think I'm surprised that you say that people are offended by that. I guess I didn't know before, but when it comes to spirits and whiskey in general, the magic to me has always been in those old rum barrels, in the, um, the corn-based whiskeys like the bourbons, in the Cabernet Sauvignons and um, some of those really red, rich wines and being able to put whiskey product in those barrels and take out color, take out flavor, all those things. I it's to me, it's at least in recent memory, it's always been rather incestuous. That's been the magic of it. Or is that, is that not the case or has it always been like that? It has always been the case, but it hasn't been um, sheltered from the rooftops, Hmm. shall we say like it is now. And a lot of people are offended when you try to explain to people that a single malt does not mean that it came from a single barrel. It just means that all the whiskeys came from that distillery. People will argue with you to death because everybody has their preconceived ideas of what whiskey is or isn't. Mm-hmm. And we like to kind of push those boundaries and bring new experiences to people. Whiskey should always be about experimentation and trying new things. And let's face it, if you're into whiskey, you're going to try an awful lot of whiskeys. You may, you're going to have your go-tos, but it's all about trying new things and trying new experiences. 
I love it when I can look at a menu bill and I see if I'm out for dinner or, or a drink with someone and I then you see one of those favorites, those go-tos on their menu. You're like, ooh, today's the day I get to have 40 Creek Fox Heart or whatever because I see it on the menu. Uh, Irish whiskey is really growing. Scotch whiskey yeah. seems to be on a bit of a slide. It had a really big boom there a while ago. Canadian whiskey, though, some of your colleagues in industry in Canada have also... Uh, grown and changed just like 40 Creek award-winning whiskey. You guys are seeing some fantastic success, popularity growing. So as, as a Canadian industry, I don't think people quite understand how the world is taking note of 40 Creek and Canadian whiskeys in general and going, oh, this is important. It seems to me to be growing again in popularity, much like the Irish whiskey is because the go-to thought is Irish whiskey or scotch. That's why I bring those up as comparisons. I think Canadian whiskey is very quickly becoming um, at the top of people's list of some of the best whiskeys in the world, and it's getting proven now. Yeah, Canadian whiskey is enjoying a bit of a renaissance right now. You know, when I started in this industry, Canadian whiskey was far bigger and more talked about than scotch or an Irish whiskey wasn't even considered you know we kind of got stayed in our ways as an industry but the last 15 20 years there's been a lot of experimentation in the industry the canadian whiskey industry is bringing products to market that people actually enjoy and it's really a, an exciting time to be in the industry yeah, that was going to be my next question. You must be really looking forward to the next 10, 15 years and what the future looks like for 40 Creek because the momentum and the excitement and conversation around it in general is uh, is just so positive. Yeah. Um, you know, as I always say to people, keep an eye on us. We haven't done our best work yet. We're We're... We're taking steps to continue to bring new products to market, to bring outstanding whiskeys and continue with the ones we already have. And there's lots of ideas out there and lots of new products yet to come. Cool. Uh, there's lots of fun stuff too. By the way, if you go to 40creekwhiskey.com, I do want to acknowledge some of the cocktails and kits like the Manhattan cocktail kit. That's awesome. There's a whiskey sour kit on there too. So if you like to experiment and do those mixers, I'm sorry, Bill, I cannot support pumpkin spice anything. But I, for those who do love it, I will say that there is a kit there for that too. Um, but so there's all kinds of fun stuff with this too, which really takes it to a new place. Bill, um, do you love it? Do you still love it 35 years later? I still come into work every single day and enjoy what I do. That's amazing. I, I wish people could see the smile on your face when you say that. I really do. Um, in this moment as we broadcast this on the radio. So, uh, Bill Ashburn, Master Blender, 40 Creek Whiskey. Congratulations on the success, Bill. Um, and thanks for being here. I would really like to continue this conversation and learn more about the ins and outs of the magic that you create, this golden magic that that is a part of your life that you just kind of roll out the door every day, um, but is so incredibly special. Yeah, it's a it's been a great career, and I've got lots of years left in me to continue experimenting. And let's face it, it's a lot of playing with liquids, not just experimenting. Let's call it for what it is. Yeah, it is right. Hey, the research part of it is terrible. <laughs> oh, it's awful. I'm doing a little research as we're talking, as you might have noticed. <laughs> and I'm going I'm to join you in that, absolutely, when this is done. Thank you so much for being here, Bill. Thank you. This is The Shift Podcast. Good morning. Thank you for being here, being a part of the Shifthead community, shiftheads.ca. is our Facebook group on the Radio Player Canada app is a nice, easy way for you to listen online if you want to stream the show and take us with you when you go on vacation like Jeffy did, which is pretty cool. 877-399-9898. That's our phone number here for your questions. Please do send in your text messages. We are going to Odessa, Ukraine. Dr. Hannah Shalist joins us now, who is in Odessa. Hannah, hello. Hello, hello. It's been a little bit, Hannah. It's nice to hear your voice. Thanks a lot. It's always a pleasure to join you. Thank you. Things have been very busy in your world. I know uh, professionally 
There's a lot going on as a Ukrainian citizen. There's been a lot going on. Um, how are you doing and how are things in Odessa? Uh, you know, adjusting to the new realities, uh, because in one way you need to continue your professional work, especially when your work uh, um, includes a lot of traveling and advocacy and talking with the internationals. So definitely we need to uh, start traveling, but that's quite uh, um, exhausting considering that there is no airports and you need to go to another country. Uh, but uh, at the same time, definitely here in Odessa, the situation is a bit uh, better than uh, in many other uh, territories. And uh, we are waiting for the good news. That's always what is helping you to cope with all difficulties. But uh, on the bad side, it is this new Iranian drones problem. That's something what uh, definitely terrifying all of us. Um, you saw a lot of pictures from Kiev, uh, but uh, Odessa was the first one to... Uh, see them and to cope with them. The only question is that we luckily uh, intercepted most of them. So uh, as for now, it's mostly the problem of our military, but still both uh, sounds and possible consequences, that's what bring a lot of worries here in the city. The drones that we are talking about here with Hannah, who is in Odessa, Ukraine, by the way, are believed to be Iranian-built uh, kamikaze drones is what they call them. They're basically a remote control aircraft that has explosives on them. As opposed to a rocket, which flies, you know, from a rocket launcher to the target and hits the target. My understanding, and perhaps Hannah, you might have some insight to correct me if I get this wrong, but because drones are a little bit different, they're typically smaller. They don't fly quite as fast. They're difficult to, um, detect until they're there. And then they can also be directed specifically and adapted at last minute and moved, turned, held off, wait, and go. Now, drones are used by all militaries. This is just a new tactic by Russia to use um, these drones in particular. Like, Ukraine uses them as well, except the difference is, is that Ukraine doesn't land them in Russian apartment buildings, really, is the difference. Um, but they, um, they're, they're now being used in, in a big way probably in response to some of the security things that have been put out by Ukraine to protect from rockets. Uh, Hannah, some of the numbers that I've been reading say that in some cases when a barrage of 70 rockets is coming at Ukraine, sometimes as many as 35 and 40 get shot out of the sky. So am I understanding what's going on here with drones? Uh, more or less. The question is that uh, we usually know about several types of the drones. One would be in, uh, widely used it is the reconnaissance uh, drones. That's what's important to see the picture and to help your artillery or your intelligence. That's the simple type. Then you have the big drones like Bayraktars. They can be both reconnaissance or combat drones, but it is one big drone. These type of the drones that we are witnessing now, the Shahed type, the Iranian-made drones, uh, Iranians, by the way, already confirmed that that is theirs, so it is not the uh, uh, allegations or something, not speaking that definitely when we intercepted yeah. them, we can see what type of the drones that is. But the issue is that uh, they're flying at the very, very low um, altitude. So for the classical air defense system, it is very difficult um, to detect them in advance. Uh, but they are loud, so it's more of the visual and sound contact. At the same time, what Russians are doing and uh, usually how they uh, used this type of the drones, they are sending not one but many. So when there are uh, missiles, the uh, uh, system automatically detects them in the air defense system. But when you have uh, 10 of these type of the drones, uh, you cannot use the classical air defense system. It's not made for this. So you're using small type of the artillery rifles, different other types of the intercepted rifles. But that is different. When you have a lot, it is very difficult to uh, um, detect and intercept. And that's how they, uh, how they act with the mass, with the terroristic um, act. Plus, also, we need to understand that they are targeting civilian infrastructure, so they are coming, or at least try to come to the territories where you will be very careful with using many weapons, or you definitely don't have so many artillery in the downtown Kiev, as you can imagine, yep, so to uh, counter them when you uh, detect. And also, they are made to detect air defense, so if you use a sophisticated methods against them, uh, it means that one drone allows others to uh, detect where is your air defense, and then all of them are changing their direction over there. So in this way, they can be quite simple, 
but at the same time they are really annoying type and the um, explosion that they carry that's the problem because you saw pictures from uh, uh kiev uh the building uh, that were hurt uh, uh yeah uh monday yeah uh, it was uh, on monday one drone is enough to ruin a five-store um, building part at least like let's say one section of the five-store building mm -hmm. now in your work hannah shalist um you do a lot of advocacy work in your foreign affairs work you you know you your relationships with other countries is very important you've shared that with us here um the un and the u.s are saying that these drones do go against the rules right and that these drones are, um, they break sanctions and everything else because they're from Iran. There's all kinds of things going on. Are you hearing in the conversation from some of the neighboring countries, some of the relationships you have, that they're, that the notion of these drones is expanding a little bit? Or is it just one of those things that they're verbally making a, a lot of noise about it, but they can't do much about it? What are you hearing there? No, for sure. We are trying to work uh, with our international partners now to apply sanctions, uh, additional sanctions against Iran, because for the first months, Iran was even talking that it is not them. They are not selling. And it was quite an interesting question why they behaved like this. Uh, Ukraine yesterday started the process of breaking diplomatic relations with Iran uh, because that was too much after we had for a few years the uh, problem of um, airplane, civilian airplane that Iranians uh, are shot down at near Tehran a few years ago. Uh, we already had problematic relations, but this was the last uh, drop for sure. And we are now uh, talking with our partners to imply additional sanctions on the one hand. Let's hope it's coming. At least it is the understanding both in Brussels and Washington. But at the same time, we are working with our partners to receive uh, equipment that we may need to intercept this type of the drones. Israel here um, could be a very helpful for us, but um, th that's problem. On the one hand, they consider Iran as the huge problem, and usually they support when it is the um, uh, needs. Uh, but at the same time, now they're in the middle of elections, and they have um, very... Um, modus position uh, regarding this war. And we already heard that uh, probably they are not going to deliver us um, those type of the equipment that we need to intercept because Israelis have the experience. That's why we are calling for them. They they met this Shahed for several years, so they know what it is. They already have the uh, uh, protocols and equipment how to deal with them. Um, now let's hope that they have elections on the 1st of November, so very soon. And uh, maybe with a new government, it will be a little bit easier to discuss this issue. Have you noticed that from anyone else? Uh, any other countries in this discussion that are stepping away for whatever reason? Or uh, what we're hearing is that there is more help constantly being included. Is there, um, are you hearing other countries stepping away or, or is the, the help still coming? Uh, the help is still coming. The question is sometimes it is what type of the help, uh, because probably Ukraine needs uh, um, more of the uh, uh, specific equipment that some countries are afraid to give. But at the same time, they are eager to give us the winter uniform, for example, what is also very important. So that is the uh, um, difficult questions. We definitely want more than some countries sometimes ready to give us. Th that can be. But at the same time, you know, after last week uh, attack in the downtown Kiev, we finally started to hear more sober voices and more resolved voices from some of our partners who finally started to talk that they're ready to give us air defense uh, um, ammunition and equipment. Uh, we've been talking about air defense since the day one, uh, but for many countries it was difficult to make this decision. Um, since the last week, finally, uh, we almost don't have such um, countries that are uh, not taking the decision according to their capabilities, for sure. Here we understand. Still, we have problem with Hungary. Here we should be open um, that uh, the current Hungarian government is problematic in their position and uh, uh, they are not blocking as blocking uh, completely so but at the same time uh, sometimes they're sabotaging sometimes they're just slow down and they're definitely limiting their Roman involvement in the military and security assistance to Ukraine uh, Hannah Shalist is in Odessa Ukraine and um, joins us here on the shift 
Uh, the Hungary conversation is interesting, of course, because of the NATO connection and everything that goes with that one. So there's more to be learned there. Hannah, we are hearing more about electricity becoming a problem, targeting infrastructure. Uh, in recent days, more than ever, the power, uh, you're with us, so I'm assuming the power is on in Odessa. My understanding, it's more eastern Ukraine. The power going out, that causes a big problem in a big way. Um, how do you prepare for that? It's not the eastern problem uh, because uh, uh, last week, uh, uh, last Monday, when Russians massively targeted Ukraine, they managed to target almost 30% of Ukrainian electrical um, stations. Uh, they knocked down Lviv, so that is one of the most western cities. They targeted Kiev. They targeted Zhitomir, what is just in the middle of the country. And definitely then Dnipro in the mid, Kharkiv on the east, and many other towns. So here they are continuing this Monday. The same. Uh, one of the main goals it is the electrical and heating stations because they understand that that is bringing fear to people. We even have a joke because previously Russians were saying that we are going to target um, the objects where the main decisions are made, if like literally to translate. And then they started targeting the civilian infrastructure for electricity and uh, um, residential areas. So people started joking. Now you really understood who made decisions in Ukraine. That is people of Ukraine. So. You you're not targeting governmental buildings. You are targeting oh. us because the power of decision making in this country yeah. is with people. Democratic. Um, yeah, the, uh, that's you can't deny the uh, this, the symbolism of it all being so accurate. Uh, but uh, then in terms of electricity, first of all, the government is trying as much as possible to restore quickly and some of our partners already helping us with the necessary uh, maintenance uh, um, equipment and capabilities so to restore where it is possible. The second is they are asking us to save electricity. So we already have a, a certain, uh, not the regulations, but the request recommendations like please don't uh, use your washing machines at uh, nine o'clock in the morning, use them in the night. And like these simple uh, daily uh, recommendations. In some cities, they have uh, several hours uh, during the day without electricity. And uh, people by their own definitely preparing that Russians will continue. So you are buying power banks, uh, you are buying candles, uh, some uh, simple heating uh, um, machine or what you can use for cooking, uh, what you usually use for camping. Yes, yeah? so this stuff is very popular because uh, winter is already coming and that can be a problem. So you should be uh, prepared as much as possible. In that... Um it must be difficult to stay away from the social media reports, Hannah. I mean, clarity and information is such a big part of your world. And the amount of info that's coming in, it's hard to verify, of course. And in my connection with you and your colleagues that we've met in Ukraine, I do follow Twitter accounts and, and whatnot. And th there's one particular uh, crash that has made everybody's feed. And it's a crash in Russia of a Russian jet. That crashed into, looks like, into an apartment building. Of course, there was an awful lot of celebration in the tweets and retweets from Ukrainians. But that's just one example. I mean, the fireball from that crash is huge. The photos are spectacular. It must be difficult to not death scroll. I mean, when you and I have conversations outside of this war, you know, we could joke about how much time do you spend on Instagram and death scrolling through all the different things and, and whatnot. But now when you're seeing this unfold and the information is part of your job, is it difficult for you to turn, like to be able to put it down for a minute? Um, in Odessa, you do have the ability from your sharing with us to go for a walk from time to time. The Is it hard to put down the constant flow of just non-stop information on the social media feeds? You know, we are trying because you're definitely becoming tired from this, uh, physically tired. And let's be honest, that is the uh, uh, classical, uh, what we are. We're seeing that information is not physical tiredness, but when you have too much, uh, uh, like try to think about yourself, you're really becoming tired after reading the whole day of some tough information, the news or something. That is the same uh, um, exhausting thing. And uh, it's bringing sometimes panic into people or uh, desperate uh, feelings. So it seems to me that after all these months, there are days when you are constantly in your telephone, like Monday, 
But at the same time, we are trying to limit ourselves as well with the regular uh, thing that you can do or with the meeting of friends, with doing some simple things. That's the only thing that uh, really can distract you. Uh, but then it's also like you understand that um, if it is not a very crazy day, uh, most of the information is copy-pasting. People just would like to share the same information. That also helps in this case. And uh, you're limiting probably the sources of information. Uh, originally, in March, people had 100 Telegram channels and their telephones, and they've been checking all of them. Now, when they realize that only a few of them are original, you're deleting others, so you're spending less time on these. It's more of the self-discipline that probably is coming when you just understand uh, uh, what you need and how much you can uh, take. Uh, it must be incredibly difficult uh, to be able to get through that and and navigate all of it, especially with uh, with everything that's going on. And it's like you said, the the new reality, the change, the new reality. It hasn't been the same for three days, four days, let alone weeks and months as you go through this. How are things for you, Hannah? Um, how are you managing? And and are you able to see your friends and and be able to still get some of those coffees in from time to time? Uh, you know, trying uh, the, those who are in the city, or uh, um, at least uh, uh, with, uh, I mean, uh, w- with the closest one. Uh, for me, it was good and very interesting that my team came for the uh, strategic session uh, to Odessa. Most of them are living in Kiev, and that's been the first time I saw them uh, uh, live. Uh, since January. And that was oh, really wow. strange feeling because we've talked almost daily. The work at the organization is continuing, but physically to hug them, to talk with them, uh, to have a dinner with them. It was the first time since January. And that was really, really strange feeling because previously we used to have it each uh, few weeks as soon as I am um, in the capital. And I know that for many of my colleagues, it is the same feelings because uh, their staff can be in the different uh, even countries and then suddenly meeting in Brussels for the event or in Prague for the event. And uh, uh, that uh, that's a new reality. Partially, we're used after COVID to eat. Let's be honest. We're all used to these digital waves of being with a close one. Uh, and even uh, uh, a month ago, one of our colleagues been married and we couldn't go uh, to that place. So they just organized a streaming for us. And it was really strange. You felt that you're part of the party, but you couldn't be there uh, with them, thousand kilometers from here. Uh, but again, that, that's something, unfortunately, we used after the COVID. So it's a little bit easier uh, to deal with these than uh, uh, if we would just jump in this cold water in February. Yeah, it is. It is a strange consideration to think that the preparation of COVID in this perhaps a bit of a blessing in disguise for the independence that comes with working at a distance that comes with being a little bit isolated and away from your colleagues. And yet, you, you know, the, the invasion hits and here you are unknowingly prepared to work apart. And it's been actually happening for a year and a bit um, to get prepared for that. So, you know, um, trying to find the, we would call it in English, we would say the glasses half full, the optimistic look at some of the preparedness that led up to this that might have actually prepared Ukrainians to work differently and be able to keep that economy going. It's it's kind of crazy, but there it is. Yeah, and partially, let's be honest, in terms of the daily life, Ukrainians appeared much more prepared comparing to many of our um, partners because we've been uh, trying to digitalize as many processes as possible even before the war. Our banking is uh, very much digitalized. Our state services are very much digitalized. Uh, um, Some, uh, I mean, local administration services. Uh, The government been working on this for quite a time, especially during the covid so now for Ukrainian refugees, for example, when they are coming to the uh, Western European countries, in some of them, they're really shocked by the number of physical papers they need to fill, when in our case, you could just come to your telephone and in the application fill this um, the data and receive very quickly the response or the uh, uh, services. Um, that really helps. Because even for those who are fleeing uh, uh, their territory in terms of documents and everything, we have most of these issues digitalized and uh, the government is trying to work um, for our digital documents to be recognized even with the uh, um, European Union countries for for the refugees. So not to have all these long lines uh, um, at the um, embassies, for example, or at the uh, 
some organizations uh, that are delivering the um, assistance to the Ukrainian refugees. It's fascinating how it's all worked out in the favor, positive favor for Ukrainians to be prepared for this. Uh, We will continue our conversations. We will touch base again soon uh, with Hannah. It's just so nice to hear your voice, Hannah. It's been a few weeks, and I really appreciate you being here with us on The Shift. Thank you for the invitation. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 